0: hello everybody welcome to the green knight podcast last time i was ending with like an analysis or a look at um things that have been written down (laughs) throughout history that we ascribe to myth or legend or fable and whatnot (laughs) and obviously we know that there's very important symbolism in myths, and so we can't completely write them off because they demonstrate um, the human condition, so to speak. Um, The shared struggle that we are all in is symbolized in these old stories, but what we find is, is that there's similarities from the original stories that come through time. And um, it's like the same story, but with new names and a slightly different casting, um, not just the cast of characters, but like the casting of the story changes and yet has enough similarities that you can't deny the connection. And, and so this is a lot of how the process of my thinking, right, is that, sure, I could disclaimer and say, this is all conjecture, right? But when you really look at stuff, and you see the connections, you have to think about the meaning behind that. And as I have said, I began my education in uh, paleoanthropology, And a lot of the evidence that you find in the fossil record um, in that particular science, that field, uh, is up for interpretation, and it's very subjective. And it correlates to um, the study of myth, because archaeology uh, inevitably corresponds to these old stories that we thought were just made up, but then we find the archaeological evidence that supports actual events. And it's the wild thing is that evidence, um, you know, the double standard method is that evidence on one hand that supports um, a mainstream narrative uh, will be eagerly seized upon, right? But the same criteria uh, placed upon a find or evidence that um, disrupts the narrative and suddenly is um, placed under much higher scrutiny. And there's this whole extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. But when any strong evidence can be um, just thrown out because it doesn't fit, then that's a problem, right? So archaeology highlights um, in a really stark way. If you look at, um, all of the debate that goes on, um, around dating, you know, dating certain finds. And so it's similar in the discussion of anything really. Right. And so you can get to a place where a lot of things make sense, but, you know, I wouldn't be able to, um, Uh, cite the sources or you know all that shit because fuck the sources man (laughs) you know like I'll take I'll cherry pick them I'll cherry pick your knowledge right um because if you're off on one in one way then uh it defeats your whole um education (laughs) right (laughs) That's the irony. It's like you think you're being true to your education when you are um, being, or when you're scrutinizing evidence, right? But your education actually builds a bias, right, into your thinking. So it's it's difficult um, to really come at um, the truth, you know, because we have all of this uh, conditioning, right, the conditions. Of what it means to live in human society and the uh, limiting factors on the expansion of knowledge. Um, so yeah, knowledge builds upon itself, right? And I will take um, all of it, right? But then I will look at it and see if we can't find a pattern that makes sense. And when we're talking about myths, um, we can get into you know an area that uh, people may or may not think holds much weight, but these are the old stories, right? These are where we find the clues. And so in this, uh, looking at these myths and old stories, including the the cuneiform tablets, you know, the stuff that was written uh, in clay. So we look at, um, from where I was Kind of leaving off before with this whole Mithras thing, um, and see if we can find uh, clues in these different characters throughout history that hold the same um, archetype in a way, have all the same features as the original, you know, Mithras. See if we can find a clue as to what this really is. So in the Platonic tradition, right, there is a connection to Mithras. There's a mention of Mithras as the possible candidate for the Demiurge, you know, the Gnostic concept of the creator, right? But like the sub-creator, like, so we're going to look for evidence that the Demiurge is actually the creator of this, like, house of mirrors here on Earth, and not the all of creation, right? So the Gnostics were uh, kind of not into the Demiurge, right? And the way it's interpreted now is that they saw the Demiurge as the programmer of the matrix, right? This kind of subroutine within the greater reality that runs on Earth. And that's an apt description, but I would say that it is not, um, it's mechanical, right? It requires a mechanism and it's artificial, but it's not, um, it's not like a computer program, you know, that we, our consciousness has, have been put into, but it's more like a trap. It's like, it traps our souls in this cycle. Right, That's what I'm getting at, and that's what I was getting at last time. So we're going to look at Mithras and the connection, again, to Prometheus and then bring it on in to the connection to the Bible and this whole uh, serpent versus the eagle dichotomy. And, of course, when we talk about that, we have to talk about Enki and Enlil. Right. So all of these guys, <clears throat> these two dudes, right – Um, who are in this rhythmic exchange throughout history. Um, They show up with different names, but it seems very likely that they're the same cats. So Mithras, uh, looking back at the cosmology, so to speak, of that early, early religion, and it's early, but it's after, right? All of the, like, it's after the Fertile Crescent has already been in place for, you know, a long-ass time, right? So a lot of the records on the clay tablets uh, precede this, right? But uh, keep in mind that all of my angle on this is that all of the writings are, though, holding um, amazing clues as to what could have possibly happened to us, you know, as a race. Also, are we have to consider the author, right? So we have to consider what is trying to be told here, and what flips, you know, or inversions have occurred uh, in the writing in order to make certain characters seem uh, righteous, and then later a definite um, impugnment of what who was previously. painted as the benefactor of mankind, right? So with Mithras, <clears throat> we have the sacrifice of the sacred bull. And uh, Mithras is the son of the sun god, it seems like, right? And the sun god sends the crow or the raven. I think it's, well, it doesn't matter, I guess. <laughs> Probably the raven. To tell, to command Mithras to sacrifice the bull. And in the relief carvings, in a lot of them, they show Mithras uh, turning away uh, in disgust at his own uh, action, right? As it's happening, like he reluctantly does this. And so in the sacrifice, which happens in a cave, um, Mithras creates not all of creation because it basically says that it creates the plants right and the land was already there right like we can look at these little details and say it's just mythic um how else are we going to perceive something existing before all of creation is created right but it um it specifically says it takes place in a cave and when he does it there's this burst of light and all of this uh the organs and the parts of the bull become you know the different parts of creation that we can witness from the surface of the earth but it says also that the burst of light awakens the creatures of the dark right and they come out and they feed upon the carcass of the bull and it's the serpent and the scorpion and you know some other creature and so it basically says that um, the battle between good and evil begins at this point, right? And it's a condition of the sacrifice. So that's interesting, right? Um, Mithras didn't create everything. It seems more like that he created civilization <laughs> with like the domestication of plants. And he's the protector of cattle, and the administer of justice and contracts. So these are all features of, you know, a an agrarian society, right? Which happens to just spring up in the Fertile Crescent, right? And I was speaking of this before. So to put it all together in a timeline is like nearly impossible, but we can look for these clues, right? Um, there's conflicting, uh, timelines for this whole thing. But, um, so we have, for lack of a better term, we'll just call us humanity. Right. And Mithras brings civilization by through the sacrifice of the pool and he's commanded by, um, a higher God the sun god but right so throughout time the sun of the sun also gets described to the sun all right this happens a lot of times in these different fables right they kind of become mixed over time um but in so if we move forward and it's not that much more forward really from the zoroastrian times which is the later um development of the mithras religion uh, to the Greek times. And so in the Platonic tradition, um, the Demiurge, the creator, like in lowercase, right? Lowercase creator. Um, we have the sacrifice taking place in the cave and then we have Plato's cave, which is like, this is perfect, right? The perfect correlation is that like this theater is set up in Plato's cave, right? This illusion of this um, rhythmic, dance between good and evil, right, is just a shadow is a puppet show. Right? So it's the beginning of the puppet show, of the illusion. Um, so here we find um, strong evidence, um, a strong connection. But there's another connection to Prometheus that is, right, he's not, we don't have um, Mithras being directly ascribed to Prometheus. And I will talk about a little bit later how actually um, Mithras and Apollo and Helios and um, Hermes all get, um, there is one king in Turkey that um, basically says these are the same guy. (laughs) So I'll get to that a little later, but, uh, so we have Prometheus, and so we have the bull here, right? And it's this, this is the strongest connection to Mithras because the bull is here and it's a sacrifice. But in this case, um, Prometheus has not been commanded by his superior, but he has tricked his superior uh, into taking a lesser portion of this life giving sacrifice. And then Prometheus basically gives it to humanity. And so he's giving humanity more life, um, right? The tools, perhaps, right? This could be the connection to the technology idea, right? But that life would have otherwise been um taken, right? So it's more life from the sacrificial bulls, like symbolic, but so it's given a better portion to humanity. And now Zeus um, has to take a lesser portion. And so, you know, it cast Prometheus as the benefactor of mankind, um, and also kind of showing, uh, depicting Zeus as being a jealous and vengeful, uh, character that his, his due was more than <laughs> like was somehow unfair, right? Humanity was getting a raw deal, you know? And so then also we can see this connection here, Prometheus and Zeus as the, you know, it's very close to the Enki Enlil thing, which is where Enki basically um, is, creates humankind and, and takes and is the benefactor of humankind and tries to help humankind. And meanwhile, Enlil is the one sending uh, cataclysms uh, to destroy mankind. And so in the Prometheus myth, that's basically what we have. It's like it's kind of saying, that, look, Zeus is an asshole. I'm trying to help you out, give you all this stuff. And um, but so later in the story, you know, the vengeful aspect of Zeus, right? He uh, has a punishment to humankind for taking more life from him, right? Because that's basically what this is saying um he sends down pandora right who is holding a box pandora's box right and so the consequences of taking more life right um prometheus gets to blame it on zeus <laughs> right but it's perhaps pandora's box right this opening of um humanity to all types of different suffering, right, was just a consequence of breaking from the superior, right? The taking more life, like kind of cheating death in a way, right? Cheating nature. So it's set up basically to make it look like this is what I'm getting at, right? This is what I'm trying to show is that it is the disconnection from nature that is the problem right? That is the sin and in this story, the Prometheus story, um, it makes it out to be like that um, that humanity is getting a raw deal and they're suffering, suffering um, needlessly, right? And so now look, <laughs> Prometheus has a new deal, right? It's, it's a deal, right? So it's basically a comparison of what you're getting. This is the story. It's like, compared to what you are getting before, this is way better. Oh, but ah, there's this shit that happens when you do this, and it's called Pandora's box. <laughs> right. You open up um, a slew of problems that you will always be striving for a solution for. And so this correlates to the Mithra story, which is that upon sacrifice of the bull, it begins the... Um, the rhythmic battle of between good and evil. So, right. So this is kind of a, um, it's an apology and saying, look, I'm your benefactor and nature or the God was giving you a raw deal and I'm giving you this deal. This is much better. Oh, but there's a consequence. So now the, the other connection. Right. Before I get on to like um, the, the idea, the fable or the myth of um, the Garden of Eden. Uh, so Zeus is his symbol is the eagle. Right. And Mithras has been associated with the serpent. And of course, Hermes has the caduceus. Right. And so that's the serpent. And we have Prometheus um, being chained to a rock um, for all time and having his liver eaten out daily by an eagle. So it's not really along the same, same thread, but it kind of is in a way. If we start to think about this as um, a dichotomy, right? And perhaps maybe it's the first false dichotomy. (laughs) Um, So Prometheus, his punishment is to be chained, right? And so maybe that's symbolic of now he is bound to the earth, right? Literally bound to the earth, and his body, right, is sustaining the ego now every day, and so. Right. He's immortal. Right. So his liver gener- regenerates every day. But it's like you could think of this as now the eagle has taken Prometheus's creation because, yes, Prometheus is credited with the creation of man. So look at it like this. Prometheus creation, his body symbolizes the Humanity, because basically he created this new version of humanity, this civilized version of humanity. And now, <clears throat> um, so if we can see Prometheus's body, right, this is really looking a lot like some other stories, too, right? So he's chained up, and he's bound to earth, and his body, um, what he created, right, is being um, fed upon by the eagle. <laughs> So I could get back to this a little bit later. Um, I guess I can just talk about a little bit now. So we have Thoth Thoth or whatever, right? And he is supposed to be Hermes, right? And now Hermes is supposed to be associated with Mithras and Apollo. And in the Emerald Tablets, um, Thoth says that all of the disparate cultures around the world were infiltrated and corrupted at a certain point. (laughs) so it looks like, you know, there's a seed planted in the middle East and it spreads. And so we have this, uh, if we look at the, the Bible now, right. Um, we have Lucifer basically holding the same characteristics as, as Mithras, um, the benefactor of mankind, blah, 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 you know, um, But now it is clear that um, this character has broken with God in the ultimate sin, right? So it's very, very clear that despite it being um, having benefits, right? um, In this retelling of the story, it's clearly wrong, right? And it goes against everything. So in the We can think about it in terms of how these ancient stories and how their similarities all contain um, a kind of evolving message that in its completion, it basically says that humanity um, has fallen, that humanity has in its um, accepting of the offer from the serpent, right? Humanity has in accepting the offer from the serpent, from the knowledge, from the tree of knowledge. um, You have sinned, right? And so that's the original sin. So it's like at this point in history, uh, what we believe um, in general, you know, in this certain region, right? In this this fertile crescent region, which is where all this kind of started started again so to speak so there's something i guess i could say now which is that so humanity has been on the earth longer than this whole thing started and uh when we say from my angle right when when if prometheus created man or if the god created man in his image right um so we have prometheus Mithras and Lucifer all um exhibiting the same uh features. So if we look at it from the standpoint like that um people have been on the earth for a very long time and there were times in the past when we were um, we had it dialed, um, where everything was right, you know. And something happened So where I'm picking up the story is after that big um, cataclysm that changed everything. And the survivors come out of that having forgotten who they are, you know, not having access to their full faculties of their bodies. And so we're already awesome, you know, at this point. When I'm saying this, when this offer came we didn't we hadn't been genetically altered right we were already badass but we had forgotten who we were um and that the gentleman who wrote um it's not aliens it's worse it's us right he did a lot of great research and he made a point that makes a lot of sense it's like as if we were uh like after this great trauma happened the survivors were in like uh um um Oh, God, why can't I think of it now? Safe mode. So we're all in safe mode. We we don't have access to our full perception apparatus. And a savior arrives, (laughs) which is the Demiurge, or Mithras, and Prometheus, the trickster god. And then, as I was saying before, then the story is retold where, um, the character is clearly, uh, on the wrong side of things. So my intention here again is to try to find clues to the beginning of not humanity, because that's what these stories, their origin stories, right? But it's the same story retold again and again. And so we look at the similarities. And so with this one, we have people accepting an offer from the serpent, an offer of knowledge. And the price of this is to be ejected from the garden, the Garden of Eden. So the argument is that the Garden of Eden can definitely be, uh, labeled as nature in this case, because the alternative is what happened, right? Which is civilization. So there's something to this story, but, um, you'll notice that it's an origin story and quickly (laughs) we, uh, accept an offer from the, I guess we could call the adversary, right? This is what I'm getting at. Um, but the adversary is also the creator, not the creator of everything, but the creator of this particular situation we find ourselves in. And so we have, we're looking for the demiurge, right? Um, And so in this story, it's very interesting that the so-called benefactor of humanity or the creator in this case, um, because at that moment when we accept the offer of knowledge from the serpent, then um, there's no going back, right? So that's these the benefit of these stories is that we can find these points of no return, right? And so we can call it a start for sure of something, not the beginning, because we know our history goes way back on Earth um, because of the fossil record. And also, right, it's like Previous to these stories be, being written down, we have the clay tablets, um, which tell the story of the Anunnaki, right? Anunnaki or whatever, and the <laughs> the two um, opposing forces in that story, of course, again I've already mentioned, is Enki and Enlil, and Enki, of course, matches the Mithras character and the Prometheus character in that if you have heard the particular translations of those tablets that basically say that you know that humanity was created by by them by modifying the existing uh, hominids right so that's the way it goes like it's kind of trying to say that 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 they elevated us, right, from an ape-like creature. And so this is where we have to, I, myself, because we know that uh, anatomically modern humans, right, goes back farther than 2.5 million years, and that flies in the face, like all, all of you now who are <laughs> know the standard model are like, whoa, what? That's way too far back. And, you know, and yet it goes back farther. And so we know that um, unless we we're going to say that the Anunnaki were going to claim credit going way back, you know, like um, multiple millions of years back, then we can just say it's kind of irrelevant. It's just that we are already um, our bodies were already built at that point. Right. So this beginning that I'm speaking of is a kind of uh, a regression or a, um, a governor, right. That's the perfect word, right. A limitation, right. Placed on us because we were in shock, right. As a population, um, after the whole world flooded. Um, and so we've never kind of left that state we've always, we're still like in this state of anxiety of vulnerability, you know, and it's not, we would have grown out of it if not for what I'm trying to say, something happened, right? There's this beginning where it kind of perpetuated the um, feeling of angst (laughs) and the threat from all around, including other people. And so obviously, you can see that this is what I was getting at in the last episode and in the previous episode before that, um, is that we were already awesome, but running in safe mode and then put in a situation, which is basically um, instead of us bootstrapping in the natural cycle, we get this um, artificial um, rhythm that we accept that runs on top of the natural cycle. So we get ejected from the Garden of Eden, right? So we separate ourselves from the natural rhythm, right, in that case. And, right, what's the other alternative, which is civilization. And in this story, it's the same as the other stories, right, in the Mithras story, upon completion of the sacrifice, um, we have the development of the battle between good and evil, right? And it's, it's like a condition. And then with Prometheus, uh, it's kind of an altered um, structure, but the outcome is the same where um, Pandora's box is the result of this um, split, right? This taking more than your share so to speak and it's put in that way it's like saying that nature was greedy right (laughs) and so why should nature be allotted so much right because we're taking more life through knowledge right this is like through technology we're able to kind of game the system you know um develop a mechanical advantage so to speak And that's what I'm not getting at. That's what's wrong. But um, the point is, is that all of the stories in this origin story, this beginning, end up with this um, battle between good and evil. Right. The management of what comes out of Pandora's box is a never ending um, endeavor. and with the separation of, you know, ourselves, right? Because this is a symbolic story. It's not just Adam and Eve, you know, this is, um, a new beginning, so to speak, because we don't remember our older past. And so it's, um, a turning from nature to a system of knowledge you know, turning to civilization, basically. So it's all the same story. (laughs) So you see what I'm getting at? And it's this battle between good and evil right here that is the issue because, um, you know, for religious people, it's like, why do bad things happen to good people, right? It's like, where is, how do you work that out, you know? And... I'm not dogging religious people. I'm just trying to look for clues, right? It's like, I'm obviously the message that um, Jesus had was the right message, right? And so if we listen to what he was saying, you're gonna get the the real deal, (laughs) you know? So obviously, so I'm not dogging it at all. I'm just saying that um, there's something going on here, um, and I'm going to talk about this. It's this origin, right? But um, if we think about accepting an offer from the serpent, right, an offer of knowledge, <laughs> right, that's an offer in the story, right? So if we accept this story, right. We've already agreed to the fact that we accepted an offer, right? And with the consequences. And since we accepted the offer, we pay the consequences. So you see the connection, right, that I've been talking about, right? Mithras is the god of oaths, of contracts. And that may seem like he administers justice between people, right? That's kind of how it's supposed to look. But what about him carrying his own contracts. (laughs) You know what I mean? And who does this remind you of, right? Um, Who makes you sign a contract? (laughs) And what is the cost, right? So previously I was saying the cost of separating from nature is death, right? Because that's the source of your sustenance, not only materially, but um, spiritually, right? from the cosmic background consciousness comes first so (laughs) right so what's the cost right it's our souls and so you can see how this story um right it leads us from the beginning right from the beginning we have to say yes um we um relinquished or we gave up our connection (laughs) um so right there it's an accepting it's an agreement to the story right so it's like a double and this is the other angle that i was talking about is how these stories actually tell you what you're agreeing to and to, so having the um demiurge the creator of this house of mirrors be um evil you know the definition of against god against creation right and our one of our very first acts was to um, accept the offer, right? So this is what I'm getting at. How these stories they hold all these truths, right, to what happened, um, but also it's like with the clever inversion, um, it, it it's like um, gets you to agree to something that is, it goes against your best (laughs) interests, you know, which is how does that sound familiar? It's like the oldest trick in the book. And so when we're talking about knowledge, right, and the story goes that it's knowledge of good and evil, but just knowledge um, is enough to include knowledge of evil, and so there there can be an argument here that uh, this, right, evil is an effect of knowledge, right? And that would be kind of like, this is what we're told, you know, and this is what I'm trying to refute. That um, this, um, that I'm trying to say that evil, this is the invention, this is the creation of evil, right? Um, Because it doesn't exist in nature. It only exists in the human sphere. And I don't want to upset any of you. It's not that evil doesn't exist, right? But um, that's not what I'm saying. And it definitely does. I'm just saying it's not necessary. (laughs) Right. It doesn't create good. And that is the trick in this story is that it says knowledge of good and evil, right? Like it's a polarity, but that is the trick, right? Good and evil appear to be a polarity, right? But they're not. Um, this opposition to evil isn't necessarily good. And this is our where we get into the discussion of the Tao. And the principle of Wu Wei, I mean, it demonstrates it perfectly Um, because in the translation, um, where it speaks of virtue, inferior virtue and superior virtue, right? Um, Good doesn't require evil to exist, right? It's not that kind of polarity. It's not like every other fucking polarity that exists in the universe, you know? Um, The creation of evil creates an opposition, right? But this is just, as I was describing before, right? A rhythmic response to an input, which is, in this case, evil comes first, right? In this origin story, this is the creation of evil. Um, um, And it is required to run this artificial machine, right? It is the rhythmic oscillation between uh, good having the upper hand over evil and evil having the upper hand over good. Um, But, uh, right, so that's the illusion right there because principle of Wu Wei, right? Inferior virtue is overly concerned with virtuosity, which is a comparison, right? Which is um, a comparison to what's bad. You know, look at me, I'm good. Like, does that make sense? So it's this hypnotic response almost to the presence of um, the bad in society. But superior rhythm, I mean, superior virtue, superior virtue, right, is not concerned with whether it's good or bad. It's just good, right? So that's the trick that is played (laughs) by the devil in this case. And, you know, for me to use these kinds of words, you know, I always have to say it for those listeners who come from a similar kind of background as me. Um, but haven't yet realized that consciousness comes first, right? This is the first principle. Um, So these words come from these stories that are symbolic of our, who we are, what we are, right? But don't necessarily, aren't necessarily the whole picture. They're just words, right? And the words are traps, Right? They are like balls that roll into little grooves that are well-worn. So, so knowledge um, includes the knowledge of, of evil because basically um, knowledge is an understanding of force. Right? We could put it that way. And it works in both instances. But I like to put it more mechanically. Right. Because knowledge allows us this um, understanding of physical properties, material properties, right, that allows us to um, manipulate the materials in our environment. Right. So like a mechanical advantage, the um, a force multiplier. Right. That's what technology is. Basically, it's a force multiplier. So, knowing that, um, you know, knowledge of contrast, right? Contrast, and how contrast always gives way, one gives way to the other, right? So, you have one in superior, right? We have one polarity in superior, and then it rhythmically cycles to the inferior, right? And the opposite pole is superior. So, this is basically knowledge understands that this is the rhythm of life, right? But um, you can also, right, so you can knowledge actually through this understanding of this um, transition from, for example, like a higher pressure to a lower pressure, right, does, uh, does work, <laughs> you know? And uh, there's a, there's a similar mechanism you can use on people to extract value from people. And this is what I described in the last episode. Um, Basically, you present a a solution to a problem, right? Right. A diminishing supply of life, right? Um, Because of the threat of death. So, and this is the mechanism that you can use to keep people in a perpetual state of anxiety right? Is that there's always a diminishing, diminishing reply, supply, right? Which means someone's in control of the supply. So here we are again, right? Um, this knowledge of good and evil, right, um, requires someone to, you know, save you from the evil, right? I mean, it's the same fucking argument, <laughs> you know? you guys. So this is the thing. This is the similarity. This is the origin, not of good and evil, right? But the origin of evil, which creates this, um, inferior version of good in response to it and which drives the whole fucking thing. So that's basically it, right? And I was saying it before is that when we agree, when we accept the offer, right, we're accepting that. There is this rhythm, right? This unnatural rhythm. And some of us are going to uh, pay the toll. <laughs> Not all of us, but some of us. And so, if we're looking at this again, right? So, the origin of good and evil is the origin of evil. Right? And that's what all of these stories have in, in common is that when the act was done, whichever it was, then. It unleashed a storm of problems that never ceases, (laughs) right? And it's this, this is what drives um, this cyclic rhythm, this unnatural cyclic rhythm in which some of us get ground up in the process and become the fuel that drives it forward. So, you, Right spiritually and materially you can see how this um separation from nature uh it might just be a mechanism right when we do what we did collectively we set up a a wheel you know of karma right that um can like can never be balanced so that we um actually advance its, uh, cyclic (laughs) rhythm just by living, which is what I was saying before. And I think this is what, um, causes us to be compelled to come back, right. In reincarnation. So we could look at it like this, right. Is uh, if the Demiurge created this place that people like to call, like reference it, what the Gnostics were saying about the Demiurge is that It created a matrix, right? But it, right, it it probably required a lot of fucking preparation, right? But that was the beginning of this cycle, right? Which I was saying represents the Ouroboros, which is the serpent eating its own tail. And that's the beginning, right, of that. And we are continually cycling on that. Um, without being able to uh, stop it. And so it's something that I say, right? It's like, this is the sickness and this, whatever it is, right? It has a memory and it seems to want to get to an objective. And so when we look on the truth-seeking side um, and we're looking at what's happening, right, Um, all you just follow the money, right? It's not about money, but you follow the money because that is our life force, right? That's what we've agreed to, to allow to be our life force. And so they're taking that from us. <laughs> um, so yeah, it is about the money, but it, it, the idea is, is to use money to drive us into this, you know, it's like this, uh, swine, um, maze, you know, um it's a the hypnotic rhythm is so ingrained, right, that we're so easy to push and to pull, right? But at this point, um the opposing sides, right, for example, like um in politics, right? It's just theater completely at this point. Like total, total theater. And and that's how we end up with all of these good people. And both, <laughs> right? Jesus Christ, I can't believe it, man. Um, everyone is good. We're just misled and mis- underinformed and conditioned. And so it's not the human condition, right? It's the beginning of the human condition that we all want to think is natural, that that's what was driving home, right? That's what these brilliant people, all of these smart people, that's what Joe Rogan is trying to drive home that is that this is, um, a natural condition, right? Where we, um, there's a, we can call it predators where we prey on each other and there is that, right? But there's, it's more like there's this system, this parasitic system that, um, sets up a suction in a way, you know, that just sucks from the people. So we're looking at the, right, the beginning of, Not the matrix, right? But we can think of it that way because it basically is, um, and the origin of, of evil, right? So, um, we know that our history goes deeper into the past, right? And that this isn't our origin story. So we know that, um, there's a better way, um, and so what I'm really trying to get at here um, is that this, right? It's a it's a kind of uh, infection, <laughs> like I was saying before, and it uh, can't live in like if we just let human beings go to seed, so to speak. <laughs> you know, return to nature, and I don't mean like just like straight up, but just become free, really become free. Um, Then we will return to, we will begin to return to our full potential. And this parasite thing, (laughs) because again, like no matter how you look at it, it's there, right? Right. If you want, if this whole truth is stranger than fiction thing is uncomfortable for you, it's still these motherfuckers and bankers, you know, uh, who are sucking us dry, you know, and they're trying to, um, so (laughs) it's a tricky game they're playing, right? They have to set it up so that everything looks fucked so that they can come to the rescue, you know? Um, and... It's, it works really easily on most people, you know, and that's, what's upsetting. (laughs) And so it is this kind of like double, it's like the stick and the carrot at the same time they've mastered the technique, you know, where it's the fear and the, um, benefits package, you know, shown at the same time, uh, and it's so obvious if you have eyes to see, right, this giant removal of value that we're witnessing now. We have The Economist coming out with an article saying, oh, this is so unfamiliar, the the comeback from the pandemic, you know, the boom, the economic boom post-pandemic. We had to actually read history <laughs> to, to figure it out. And it's just so funny. I mean, it's like it's comical, you know. This is obviously like, look, now the economy's booming because everyone died and lost their fucking jobs, and now um, they're. I mean, it's crazy. It, like I said, they they play both angles at the same time. It's almost like this. We're nearing the cycle, the end of the whole cycle, that the little cycles are are happening simultaneously. And so it's really like uh, a soap opera, you know, where it always seems like um, chaos, you know, things out of hand, you know, but then there's always another season, right? So they keep the um, everyone, every group has their mortal fear, you know, and. But it doesn't matter which group you're in, like the alternative, right? They, they're they the only alternative, right? Their solution is the only, only alternative. And if we, right, so if we don't change our thinking, then we'll fall into the trap. But um, so what I was referring to as far as the solution goes last time, right? Um, there really is no other choice because... Everyone uses commerce, right? Everyone uses money, right? So we have to play the game. We're still playing the game, but we have to play it in a way like we have no choice. We're in it, right? It's like we have to bring it down from the inside. There's no other choice. And so we continue to play the game. Uh, We don't individually. I mean, that's fine. And if you're good at it, right? If you've already done it, then teach other people how to um, go off grid, right? That's important. I'm not dogging that shit at all, <laughs> but I'm just saying is that there's so many of us who fucking won't be able to put in the time and don't have the resources in order to learn how to do that, and so we have to make um, allowances, right, for that uh, if for a solution, and so so we continue to play the game. We all got to still, you know, feed the kids, feed the property. (laughs) You know, we have to feed our property and don't take that the wrong way. It works both ways, right? We have to maintain our possessions um, and we have to raise our children. So we have to continue. And it's like, we're playing a game. It's definitely a game. Um, we can win this game in a way that, uh, <laughs> like would make you happy to see it in a movie, you know, like full turnaround, um, underdog comes from behind, you know? And so the analogy I like to use is that we're playing hearts, you know, and I hope some of y'all know how to play hearts, right? So you're taking tricks, And the whole idea is to avoid spades. And so if people are throwing spades into your um, uh, pile, knowing that you're going to have to take it, then, right? Okay, so I'm not going to explain how you play, right? But you guys all understand the concept of shooting the moon. And if you played hearts, then you get it. Um, This is where you try to do the exact opposite of the pro, the point of the game, basically, which is to take all of the spades, right, in all of your tricks. Um, and so if you see the possibility of this happening, right, you have to play to advance it, right? But you also have to try to disguise what you're doing um, because someone could derail you um, when it starts to develop early because there's still spades right, out there. <laughs> so the whole thing is, is that we keep playing the game and we disguise our intent to shoot the moon, right? We're going to get all the points. So, and that's what I was referring to last time is we prepare the ground, right? We have to keep playing like we're regular, right? Try to misdirect our intent, right? And then all at once, when The time is right, right? When you're shooting the moon, there's a point at which there's nothing anyone else can do to stop you, right? It's already too late. And, uh, so you have to be dealt a good hand to be able to do that, right? The right kind of hand, but we have the right hand, um, right? Like I said, we already have the fucking hand, right? So we just play it right close to the chest. Um, it's us against the adversary. And so this mythic discussion, right? Um, it may sound outrageous or outlandish. Um, to me, I mean, the pattern is there. And so that's what these myths show is these, um, general patterns of humanity, right? The collective subconscious. So don't write it off because of that, that angle, but it comes back around again, right? Um, comes back around. It doesn't matter um, what, who, what or who or, you know, we know who the physical perpetrators are, right? That's enough, right? We know what's happening. And if you don't know what's happening, then fucking Jesus, man. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> and it's cool to see a lot of young people, um, seeing this, you know, and like, it'll keep playing out. Right. Um, I don't think it'll get too crazy. I think it'll just seem like it's about to get out of hand, at, you know, at any second, you know, I couldn't be wrong about that. Um, that, The chaos may be, you know, something that is on the agenda, you know, but I'm pretty sure, I don't know, man, it's like the, it's really hard to tell, but there's definitely something funky, funky happening, (laughs) funky, right? Really funky. And that's all I'm getting at. And we know that it's our exchange, right? The exchange between us people that is our life, right? This is, um the life's blood of humanity, right? The exchange between us, um, the value we create and exchange between each other. So we know that right Right there. Um, we have to reclaim that. And so when I say shooting the moon, that's what I mean. We got to take it back. Um, and that means we all have to jump at once. Um, or a lot of us, um, not I mean, the ideal thing would be everyone. It's like, we could figure it out, man. We could really figure it out. Like this, um, it doesn't have to require large-scale death. Um, There's so many brilliant people. Um, There's a way that we can tap that wealth of mind. And so, because it, it was there before, right? It's still there now. And it doesn't require technology for us to do it. Um, like a lot of what my, this whole series has been about is like how we can align, you know, our technology with um, nature, you know, with the rhythm of nature. And, you know, and I've come to realize right through uh, learning from other people and Um, the continual exploration. And you'll see that I've updated some of my positions, right? Specifically about evil, right? In this recent exploration, it's like basically you can pinpoint it, right? This, uh, the beginning of the Ouroboros, right? The unnatural um, rhythm of man. right? The beginning is... The beginning of evil uh, and so i think i i hope i um illustrated that enough to show that it is the Tao that um is the workaround right that explains that it, it's not the workaround it shows the workaround, right that this is a trick that we're tricked into believing right that this polarity is necessary and it is to run the artificial rhythm, right? This is what we agree to either tacitly or, or, um, right? It's like, and it comes down to that, right? Is it natural? Right? Is it natural for us to prey on each other? Um, no, because we've done it better before. This is actually something kind of new and it's coming to its culmination, right? Like I said, and that appears to be, their objective objective you can follow the money right and it seems like they're trying to get to um where the technology is of a level where they can implement this uh um like the beginnings like this transition into um, a machine kind of life (laughs) and so that's really what it is um we already have ai it's everywhere You know, and when you hear Musk talking about, um, you know, there's only a limited amount of intelligence or the amount of intelligence available in the world will be all generated by A.I. And this um, (laughs) imbalance is only increasing. And I mean, just listen to the absurdity of that. Um, God, man, this guy. I mean, they use such stupid arguments, both him and Gates. Um, that's silly. Right. The wealth of mind <clears throat> that is available uh, in humanity right, is ever increasing. <laughs> but my point is, is the AI is everywhere already. Right. So there's that's not the singularity. Right. We've already fucking got it. Um, it does what it's told. Right. It's programmed. If you program it to do, you know, evil, it would do evil. Um, And that's that whole thing about that our nature is right, that it's our nature, right? So if we're the creator of AI, then it's going to be like us, right? And so it's just more of that same argument that it's not our nature, that we are so much more powerful than we are led to believe and that we believe ourselves. We have so much juice available to us um so and talk about a force multiplier right um when we come together so we have to get over our differences right and that means we have to change the way we think because if you are identified then you'll never be able to get over your difference you know and the division that we have right now is insane so i'm not sure how we get there But the idea is, is that we show like we can show clearly what the problem is. Like, it's obvious you can't argue around it like someone come and fucking debate me on this uh, cost of money thing. Right. Because it's right. This is something about which there can be no debate and people will try, but you won't. Right. If you can understand the logic of it and it's clearly based on logic. Then, like I said, right, there's no going back after you get that, and so it's obvious that we have to revoke their access to our exchange. So we play it close to the chest, right, and we try to help other people discover who they really are, and that was my intention with the coin. Um, so with the anti coin, with uh, right, you're a sovereign. Uh, divine being in soul dominion of your body, right? You came out just right. You don't need to modify. And, you know, it's a right. There's no benefits. There's only rights, you know? And so if we understand this, right, that um, how do we get to this where we don't have to be worried about, um, some bad actors, right? How do we transition to this natural rhythm without being worried about, uh, raiders? Um, and so it's the transition of the thinking that really does that. Um, so if you can't do that, then, um, those, I guess that's the problem right there. Um, I mean, this is where the faith comes in. You know, this is where um, the effectiveness of being fearless comes in. And knowledge that others are with you. Um, that becomes infectious, right? And it's already been shown. Right. It's like I said, I'm not bringing anything new. I'm just perhaps pointing out um definitely what's wrong, <laughs> right? And the only way to to fix it, right, is to um retain all of the value for us, you know. And how do we do that? And so that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, once you start to think that way where you're fearless and also not, um, you don't feel threatened, right. Then all new, all new possibilities open up and that becomes infectious. (laughs) You know, it becomes obviously more valuable than the alternative, which is to, um, look out for number one, for lack of a better way of putting it so yeah it takes this changing of our thinking right first step and we have to take back the exchange that's ours and because the exchange exists because we need each other. Um, Technology um, is the reason we need each other. Um, So the exchange exists because of technology. And we're there already, right? We're already in the game. It's a pivotal part of the whole mechanism. But the point is, is that the exchange, right, that's how we survive. So that's what needs to be reclaimed. And by extension, therefore, the means of production also. When you centralize um, the control of the source of value, Right. Which is the exchange of value and the things that we make that are valuable. Um, then it creates a hierarchy. It's just something that happens. It's almost like, um, yeah, so if it's controlled centrally already, right there, there's the top of the food chain right there. Right. So you can see how. <clears throat> that kind of a uh, setup just alone, right? Which is why everyone talks about it so much, um, is a problem, but it's, a, a symptom. <laughs> it's a symptom still, right? We have to address this deep issue before we can, um, be confident enough in our fellow, in our peers, because we're all peers, um, this is what I'm getting at. Um, we don't need, right, this um, hierarchy in order to feel good about ourselves, right, about our identities, because just being um, as awesome as possible is enough, right? Is that not enough? And so, if we all do that, <clears throat> and if we can figure out a way for us, everyone to contribute instead of it being um, this funnel aspect of it only funnels a few select people that get to decide, you know, how things go, and it's. It's not politics, right? It's like the design of our culture, right? Because, (laughs) I mean, I've heard it said, right? It was Terrence McKenna who said it, right? Culture is not your friend. And I heard Sam say that the other day or in one of his guests, and it's true. Um, In its current incarnation, definitely. And what I'm getting at is that there was this beginning of this cascading failure so to speak (laughs) um right that we're um arriving at the culmination of that's what i keep saying right and so it'll seem like it's never going to get there or it'll seem like um it's always on the edge of collapse and then all of a sudden we'll be in it and we won't be able to get out um There's a minimum amount of people like that are required for that system to work. Um, And it's not that many. Right. So that's the alarming part. Right. Is the the way that we operate now, which is this uh, competitive mindset. Um, I think I've laid it out pretty clearly that it's that it is the competition. Right. That's what scarcity does. Uh, That's what the, when you, when value is increased through scarcity, then we're all placed in competition with each other. And that's an unnatural state for a race of beings that uh, was cooperative first, right? Like I said, we were already, um, all of our faculties were in place. We just were kind of uh, shaken up, and so we didn't have access, right? So we reclaim the exchange network that we all survive off of. And so we make it so we have to remove the um, mechanism of leverage that the authority you know, the authority that I was speaking of last time has over us. And, you know, it's simple to say that it, that we all have to come together, but no one really believes that it's possible, you know? Um, so we need something um, that makes it so that we can do it. And so that, yeah, right. I've been describing what is required. <laughs> and it's not, um, right, those things, the simple aspects of what I'm saying are, can't really, there's not an argument against it, really. And it's not a reductionist viewpoint. It's just looking at um, the initial conditions that bring about the repeated patterns in our society, right? So if we adjust those conditions, (laughs) right, not the battle between good and evil, (laughs) right? That seems to be the condition that we've um, agreed to. More the condition that um, how we can actually tap into everyone's mind just because we give them access (laughs) Not because everyone's connected through this neural network, because that would actually be the inverse, you know, of creativity. And I've talked about this before: is that we need our own individuality in order to be creative. We need this separate mind to, um, as a laboratory, you know, for to process information. So the idea would be, to is that the access to the exchange is easily and readily available. And the exchange is, of, of course, like I was saying last time, it begins with um, the things that are necessary for survival. And a lot of us work in those sectors <clears throat> in every community. You know. And so we make the market instead of this kind of ramshackle, um, get the word out on your own kind of thing into whoever um, has something to offer. Right. I mean, there it is right there. It's like everyone has something to offer. That's how we live. So we just facilitate the um, ontological design of our future. Right? The way that the elements of our culture unfold, we just maximize that. Um, allow everyone to go for what um, they're passionate about. Them. You know? And it's it wouldn't be a meritocracy either. Um, the merit would be in the output, and the output wouldn't be uh, owned necessarily, right? If you worked on a product, a new product, right, from its inception all the way to its production, um, then, right, then you will be compensated for its success. This is uh, <clears throat> the idea. <laughs> but it's right. It's, um, real time. A product doesn't get made, um, on spec, you know, like how we do it now where it's made so cheaply in, you know, because the cost of labor <clears throat> is, uh, leveraged right. In other countries, uh, that a minimum, Selling a a third of the inventory will be a reasonable profit, right? (laughs) So it's so absurd. So the idea is is that nothing goes into production unless it already has sold out, (laughs) right? So everyone who wants something basically would have worked on it because they know already what it is and what it does. So every production run uh, sells out because it's everything that gets made is already sold. So are you guys following my thinking here? Um, This is how I came out this originally was how do we, it's why I call this kind of whole thing, the one market. Um, So the idea would be is that we, the, our society doesn't collapse, and we don't have to rebuild from, you know, scorched earth. And that we can starve the parasite and begin with all of our knowledge. It seems good, right? Seems plausible. So that's what I will continue to do. Um, and so, if you know who you are, right? that you were born with rights. Just by being born, you have rights. And no one can take them from you. So, let's all uh, know ourselves. (laughs) Okay. And a good reminder is the anti-coin. Because it's, it's the perfect... Passive resistance, because it knows, right? You're holding the spades in your hand, right? The anti coin art is the fucking (laughs) the queen of spades in your hand, and you've already captured most of the spades and your tricks, right? Shooting the moon. So uh, I already, I was gonna spend. These last 20 minutes that I was talking about this, talking about Mithras more, because I mentioned that I was uh, there's these statues in eastern Turkey um, that were erected, you know, that are credited to uh, Antiochus, the first and a Hellenistic king. Um, That was his kingdom was right there straddling between the east and the west. And so he's an interesting character, and historians, uh, you know, kind of treat him like a maverick, and it, you know, um, in a way. But I bring it up because he names these gods at his so-called tomb that he made. Right? Um, he has this pantheon, so to speak, uh, in which the gods all have um, multiple names. And uh, Mithras is on there, uh, so Mithras is one of them. And his other names, it actually starts out as uh, Apollo, Mithras, Helios, Hermes. So Antiochus the first is basically saying that these are all the same guy. And historians, you know, they never want to like commit to any claim or anything. <clears throat> But uh, it's pretty interesting that Antiochus, uh, he also had friezes, uh, these relief sculptures around his kingdom that showed him shaking hands with Mithras. And um, and he was also labeled, you know, in the same way. So it's interesting. And it's basically you can just say that they're all the god of the sun. Um, and we have Hermes here, you know, and so then the Hermes connection to Toth or Thoth or whatever, you know, from the Egyptian side. Right. Toth, Thoth is supposed to be Hermes um, because it has a lot of uh, things in common. So there's something going on. Right. It's like what I was looking for in this whole episode is this evidence of this beginning of um, not of everything. Right, but of this um, thing that we are experiencing on Earth, because previous it seems like it was a different thing happening. Right, we started something at some point, and that's what I was looking for. And so, it's that beginning and um, the initiator of that, right? And so, the demiurge, so to speak, of this matrix. And this soul matrix. So... Sun God. All, uh, you know, different names, all the same guy. So I guess what I'm getting at is that... um, this could be a clue despite it just being this maverick maverick behavior from this antiochus the first right just trying to protect himself while he was straddling two worlds you know um saying look i'm down with uh, the sun god whatever his name is right but this pantheon is so if you push it east right then it's Zeus is Ahura Mazda, right? And it's the same uh basic guys, you know, except the one female on this group of sculptures is the local goddess, but can also be ascribed to the wife of Zeus. Um so the pantheon is is numerous, right? But the demiurge is singular. <laughs> and the all of this discussion, you know in this episode has pointed the finger at Mithras, uh, Prometheus um, and then Lucifer because they all uh, have similar characteristics. And but both, right He's supposed to be the good guy, right? this uh, ascended master um, from Atlantis. Right? That's what it says in the Emerald tablets. And he claims to have built the pyramids, you know, um, and all this stuff. So (laughs) he's supposed to be the good guy, right? But obviously something happened that is wrong, right? Um, This separation from nature, right? This misstep at some point that, right, I've already established um, isn't the beginning for us but it's the beginning of this pattern for us. So, yeah, um, it wasn't right to do. (laughs) But, um, and so what is that? Like Mithras uh, turning his head away in shame while he slays the bull, you know, like a reluctance to do the thing. Right. That initiated this whole thing. And then in later stories, like I pointed out, a kind of an apology, you know, uh, (laughs) as in the Prometheus story. And then in the straight up, like it's evil and um, the cost is high. So, uh, yeah, I'm just saying that obviously there was something that wasn't right that happened right that is outside um am you know i'm hesitant to use stronger language right um but it's like why not i mean it's like an abomination right like a full disconnection from nature so if right the demiurge can't be good um But we can be, because we already are. But you see what I'm saying, right? It's this, and I'm talking about this in an honest way, seriously, because again, right, these stories are important, right? The symbolism in them. And even in a way that, the way that I'm speaking, like this could be some kind of uh, (laughs) interdimensional being, right? the only way it can survive is by doing this uh, to erase. <laughs> and again, it doesn't matter because like this parasitic uh, action is happening to us. And I've already, right, it's no easy feat, right? But to reclaim the exchange for our own, to free the exchange, right? That's what needs to happen. But it's just to think about it in a way that is like, um, if you do evil, right? If you do something that's an affront to all that is holy, if you somehow get someone else to agree to do it for you, then you're you're clear, right, of the consequences. And right, this is the nature of a contract. The nature of a contract. So, right. And this is what the oligarchs of the world um, do. I mean, that's a Russian term, but it works, right? Um, So, no supernatural, you know, quote, supernatural thinking at all is required to see that this is happening <clears throat> and we need to stop it. But if, thinking about it in this way, um, I mean, at the very least it's interesting. Am I wrong? So there's right. The objective there, it seems like <laughs> is happening, right? Why would the oligarchs want to be, you know, They're acting like it's to save, you know, everyone, right? That, uh, everything that they're doing. And I can say, quote, they, right? And you know who I'm talking about, right? Um, has the objective of kind of, um, making society into this where every aspect um, is, of our each individual right in operator inside society um, all of their stats are like uploaded and monitored and you know so it's all controlled and who would want to live that way right i They make it seem like that's our only choice, and obviously it's not um, because of the climate emergency and the the world health crisis. And even if it was all as bad as they want us to think, we wouldn't, we couldn't accept it, right? We wouldn't want that no matter what. (laughs) So it's not just money isn't the angle, you know, winning at the game here on earth, right? Like I I won all of the money pieces. (laughs) I win, you know. Um, There's there's a a different objective and it seems to be a spiritual war, right? Because the only way that we would actually accept that is if we were completely disconnected, uh, right? From source, from our souls, right? If we were soulless. And that's why this system requires constant management and a marketing program that is just, um, you know, the exponential growth of the marketing to keep this whole thing going, right? It matches um, our energy consumption pretty much, you know. (laughs) Like the the graphs would look the same. I mean, it's just... (sighs) Too much. It's too hard of a sell, (laughs) and without the actual um, hard evidence to back it up, it's all just based on smoke and mirrors at this point, right? And so I don't want to get all doom and gloom because this is all about how we can, right, vanquish this these class of parasites, like remove their. the mechanical advantage they have over us, right? Throw a spanner in the works, so to speak, monkey wrench, but not like that, you know, like not sabotage and, uh, you know, resistance or, you know, anything like that, because that is inferior virtue, (laughs) right? It just grinds us closer to the ultimate objective that they're looking for, which again is to hook us all up to the machine. And uh, so it's—I was kind of mentioning last time about how it would appear from uh, from the perspective of an extraterrestrial race. Uh, you know what's going on here, and it has a term, you know, and I've—I think I've only used it once or twice during this whole thing, like all the interviews and everything. And it's called the Lucifer experiment and that's what's happening here you know <clears throat> and so what <laughs> i was trying to get around to saying was is how this all of these dichotomies you know like um good versus evil in the human story that is um and then you know the <laughs> <laughs> fuck the serpent versus the eagle you know when i said it's like the adversary is the one making the offer right the adversary is the demiurge the one who started this wheel of karma right by getting us to accept the offer um but uh so it's the dichotomy is like the adversary versus uh, us The adversary versus us, you know, but the stories always have this other dichotomy set up. Right. And it plays out to a real extent for sure, Um, again, because of this aggregor concept, you know, this idea that whatever we believe to be true um, on average uh, becomes true in society becomes operatively true and it's like this whole thought form that just has a life of its own I think that's a better way to think about the egregore concept but this these dichotomies um, are almost set up uh, or not almost are like staged in a way like you could even say it about Enki and Enlil you know it's like They kind of play the good cop, bad cop with humanity, you know, and that's the same with Zeus and Prometheus (laughs) Um, and to a way more extreme extent, the God and the devil. Um, But the actual um, relationship is the adversary versus us. And all of these stories um, kind of distract us. And that's what I spent, you know, 30 minutes basically trying to say with all that roundabout stuff. But this is all off the cuff now, you guys. So I can try to get them out there faster instead of trying to craft the words so um, rigidly. You know, that's been part of the struggle. And so and there's always more to say. And this is already way too long. It's not really. It's just right. But, uh, so I realized that I, I can't just cut it off, but I think that the primary message has been delivered. I hope so. But what I wanted to talk about is just some clarification of these points that I've been talking about. Um, all of them, all of the points I've made, (laughs) um, in addition to how we can, um, create a Um, you know, prepare for a positive outcome, right? How we can make, to decentralize the exchange, decentralize the means of production and open a living network that um, everyone can access. And if you want to be creative, then you can be, right? So uh, stay tuned, y'all. And... Get the anti-coin.